Hello and welcome to the Squiggly Animation Podcast. In today's episode, we feature special guests Louis Hudson and Ian Ravenscroft from Dice Productions. Ah, once more, another Squiggly Podcast. Steve Henderson, how are you? I'm fine, thank you very much, Ben. How's your month been, animation-wise? Uh, it's been very good. I rather like my job at the moment. I get to um, blow things up, which is always always fun. I haven't been able to sort of inflict any cartoon violence on things in a couple of years, so it's nice to get another contract like that in. It's quite therapeutic. Marvellous. Well, it's good to have that kind of therapy, isn't it? How has your animation month been? Uh, yeah, it's been a great month for um, animation news and such. I mean, the BAFTAs have been and gone. I mean, that was that was that was quite a while ago now. But uh, what did you think to the winners there, Ben? Uh, well, Mazeltov. Not a huge surprise on the feature film front. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be perfectly honest, not a huge surprise on the short film front either. But I have no uh, no quarrel. Uh, the BAA Awards have been announced as well. Yes, indeed, the uh, British Animation Awards. I was in, I was a little more sort of interested in these than the BAFTAs, to be perfectly honest. Obviously, there's a lot more categories. Perhaps less predictable results, as far as, like, who's in the running. Overall, pretty interesting. I mean, what did you think? Were there any, like, major surprises or, or uh, pleasant twists or anything, as far as you were concerned? Uh, well, uh, major surprises. A few things popped up that I'd never seen before, and I was really glad um, having seen it, uh, particularly in the... Uh, uh, best short film category. Uh, there's Teeth, which we've uh, seen and loved, and then Dead Air, which I'd uh, never seen by uh, Robert Bradbrook, and Let's Play Nomad X, which I'd never seen before. It's been uh, directed and produced by uh, Christine Andrews, hmm. um, uh, which I absolutely loved. I've never even heard of it, or you know, it's, I've not seen it submitted to festivals or any of that kind of stuff. And uh, you know, there it is. Had you seen it before? Yeah, I think it was at Encounters a few years oh, ago. Oh, okay. And I liked it. It reminded you know we've talked in the past about like how in passing we have ideas for films hmm. and then we see someone do it better probably. And there was definitely something because I think when certainly the the whole let's play phenomenon really kind of like hit a hit its stride. Um, and that was like all you'd get in YouTube recommendations for a while. I had had this idea of doing like a kind of web series of like a guy who was playing through an entire like video game like in sort of episodes. Mm. And the commentary would kind of like veer from what's going on on screen to horrible, horrible things that are happening in his life. Uh, and I think the video game I was going to do was Lemmings. I just picked the most boring to watch video game possible. And uh, I think the reason I didn't do it is that it seemed like it would be kind of like Marion and Jeff. Mm. That just kind of talking through what's happening without actually seeing what's happening. So this chap did a, a similar kind of thing in the sense that he, he, but a much better approach, he just made it one little short film, a sort of let's play video that devolves into a kind of crisis. Yes. <laughs> but I love the way the, that sort of retro 80s, that the very early 3D gaming was sort of replicated. Was it Star Fox? That kind of... Yeah, it's a bit uh, Nintendo 64-ish, uh, maybe a little bit earlier than that. Clearly a lot of work went into the sort of construction and thought and, and the faithfulness to that feel of video game. Absolutely. For all its praise we've given it there, I must say the uh, the uh, best music video has, has got some of my absolute favourites in this year. Uh, one particular, the um, Moving On video by Ainsley Henderson. Mm-hmm. A video that I, I, I've kept going back to for the last two years, or however long it's been online. 
um, you know, an absolute uh, wonderful tune, but uh, really nice um, video as well. Uh, also in that category, the best music video category, um, Amaro and Walden's Joyride, which is just a, 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 a wonderful burst of uh, excitement. And um, Cookie Tin Banjo uh, by Radish Pictures. I was surprised, actually, that uh, Teeth wasn't considered for a BAFTA. So it's very nice to see that sort of in end with a shot amongst uh, the other short films here. I must say I was very surprised that it didn't get nominated for a, for a BAFTA as well. Elsewhere in the British Animation Award categories, it's nice to see some sort of familiar faces. Uh, Sarah and Duck show up. Amazing World of Gumball. Mm. Um, and also some, some sort of unexpected ones as well. I thought that amongst the postgraduate nominees, it was nice to see uh, Mr. Medea there. Yes. A lot of fun. I love Tusk as well by uh, Rory Wobby-Tolly as well. It's not amongst the BAA shortlist, but it's uh, another film of his that's definitely worth looking out for. That's a great concept, Tusk. Um, but Mr. Uh, Medea, I think it owes a lot to Longbird, uh, Will Anderson's Longbird film. Uh, when you were watching Mr. Medea right the way through, did you think um, did you think it was uh, a, a, a man putting on a character's voice? or? Well, that was something that was actually kind of debated uh, quite a bit amongst the people... And also got some people kind of annoyed and upset, which was weird, really? was that some people felt like it was all completely fake. Some people felt that it was real and just edited very selectively. Uh, and some people felt like the line should have been more defined. And I'm, I'm not that precious about that kind of thing. I just, I just enjoyed it. Hmm. I liked that the concept was played with. I liked that the characterization was played with as it went along. And the actual sort of... If you're watching a documentary and something like Catfish or something when there are elements of it that are probably real and elements of it that are probably staged, it's it sort of makes more sense to want to know because this is dealing with very, very serious issues and mental illness almost. So you, you want to sort of feel comfortable with what you're watching that it hasn't been staged it hasn't been crafted and a lot of documentary filmmakers to make a documentary that will engage an audience they'll be a little fast and loose with how they're presenting the facts mm. and i mean you know, case in point you know that making a murderer that kind of captivated everyone and then everyone watched it and then everyone actually started looking into it and then like hang on because there were quite a few questions left over from that and that's like, you know, there are lives at stake in that one, you know, and I think it's more, you know, there's more cause to get grumpy <laughs> about the um, selective coverage of something like that. Whereas something like this, I think, was having fun for its own sake. And that, I think, makes it work. So it doesn't really sort of matter. Hmm. Well, very eloquently put, Ben. I agree. Um, very eloquently agreed. Well, thank you very much. Um <laughs> Serious question, sticking with uh, Royal College of Art. Mm -hmm. uh, small people with hats. Mm -hmm. What do you make of that one? I I liked it. I didn't. I don't think I've got as much to say about it as I have uh, Mr. Medea. Uh, I don't know if it's one of those films that kind of drags you along or leads you along, if you know what I mean. Right. Whether it's too long or whether it's um, you know doesn't do enough. I find that it improves with acquaintance. Yeah. I've watched it a few times. I definitely, I also think it again stands out from that year's uh, RCA crop. Mm. I think the design style, I'm not its audience for as much, but I do like the kind of, I don't know, I find the, the odd 
films, the films that are not at all linear in their narrative and play with, with visual ideas and things like that. I do warm to mm. if the design style isn't necessarily like my personal taste. I did see that the director, Serena Nehai, if that is the correct pronunciation, recently did a music video for Never Met, Okay, which is uh, my favorite record at the moment. So uh, if she's a fan of them, she's all right in my book. Nah. Also uh, for a postgraduate student film award is Daisy Jacobs, mm. who uh, we talked to pretty much exactly a year ago, uh, episode 28 of the podcast, along with Richard and Mark, who did Shaun the Sheep, which uh, is also up for a nomination in the feature film or long form category. I mean, there's quite a few of these people that we actually have coverage on. Mm-hmm. If you kind of go through the list, uh, you can learn more about the, uh, the talents behind many of these projects that are up for an award. It's interesting on the um, best long form animation that short films and, uh, well, the only feature on the list, Shaun the Sheep, the movie, uh, have been put together. Yeah, I guess it's sort of uh, how many other sort of like British features would have been in the running. Mm. So maybe it just sort of makes it easier if it's just kind of like, you know, TV specials as well as features. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Stickman, of course, was a big holiday hit uh, out now on home video, I believe. Home video, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> My hair just went a little grayer as I said that. Out now on Wax Cylinder. <laughs> uh, I think that's going to be an interesting category in, in two years' time when the awards return. Because there's quite a few uh, British animated features in development. So that's going to be interesting, seeing what they do with that. We shall see. We shall indeed. Ah, the future. The unknown. <laughs> Exciting, isn't it? Very, very, very. Did you see the news about um, uh, the Animation Alliance uh, has managed to get the Arts Council uh, England and the BFI to pledge a little bit of support to to independent animation? I, I think it's obviously well documented that, uh, that in the UK we've got these tax credits, but um, a band of, uh, of plucky indie animators um, got together uh, at Animation Alliance and, and said, well, hang on, indie animators need the same. And uh, yeah, so it's that, that's been a, that's kind of a, a a nice little a nice thing to happen in the last month since we last spoke to one another. So, what do you anticipate the um, the long term results of this will be? Well, there's the thing: it is actually going to be long term. Um, these things move at a, a, a bit of a, a glacial pace. The issue being that um, the BFI and, and Arts Council England, uh, according to uh, Animation Alliance, haven't really been uh, looking after uh, independent animators. Um, and so by 2017, the BFI has uh, agreed to uh, define its responsibilities in regards to animation um, and to uh, seek further um, sector uh, consultation to um, to make sure that it, animation is specific. So I think some of the funding that's been given to to indie animators, which isn't the same as as, as the you know the animation industry or people who work on series and such. Um, who don't get their tax breaks um the funding has been a little bit kind of odd shall we say so they've said they've invested in animation whereas it has been like a dance project with a tiny little bit of animation so it's not been going directly to filmmakers as you would probably imagine mm-hmm. so the results of this hopefully will be that we'll get more animated independent animated films coming from the uk but who see who knows we'll see i'm sure well, that would certainly be the hope. I think that, I mean, independent animators, sort of generally speaking, they kind of, they take the shape of whatever container you pour them into. Mm. And certainly it helps when there's a lot of funding out there and there's a lot of initiatives, schemes, you know. Um, 
That being said, I mean, I've I've really been putting it under a, a magnifying glass the last year or so for a, a project I've been working on. And something that actually independent animators thrive on is actually a bit of a lack of support, a lack of a leg up when there's completely no one to answer to. You get some spectacular independent animation. I'm not saying that it would be unwelcome, far from it. It's It's always good to perhaps have the same kind of thing with slightly bolstered production values or, you know, whatever else would be enabled by uh, that kind of thing. It's sort of a blurry line when a project is still independent. Yeah. Like NFB films, uh, absolutely independent spirit and auteur-driven, but they're not really classifiable as independent films because of the governmental backing that's available for them and the structure that they have in place for production, the number of people involved, that kind of thing. It is actually more of a kind of small-scale professional production. So, yeah, it's kind of like, is this going to be turning independent animation into not independent animation? Yeah, there was a time in the late 80s and early 90s when when it was good to be an animator in the UK. We were winning awards and... Um, it, it was kind of to be an independent animator was it was all right, wasn't it? You could you could make a living off of it, mm. and then something changed, and and now those days are gone, and and it's kind of the internet has has cropped up, and the playing field is a completely different shape. So yeah, it's it's, it's odd, and it's going to be interesting to see how a new setup for for independent animators can facilitate that, and if well, what these guys are after, what the Animation Alliance are after, if if that dream can actually be realised. Mm-hmm. Probably one of the best sort of examples of uh, people who've been able to retain a degree of independent spirit whilst you know actually working on funded projects would be this episode's special guests, Dice Productions, and all of their work has been incredibly sort of indie in terms of they just don't give a shit. Like, they do what they think is funny, and there's no concession whatsoever. It's not like crazy over-the-top sex or violence, but it is really unabashed, just oddball films. Just, but, and, and great, great fun. Mm-hmm. For as long as I think we've been involved in Squiggly, uh, I think we've been fans of these guys, and it was sort of high time that we had a proper chat with them on the podcast. They recently put out their latest animation short, and this was funded as part of the uh, Nickelodeon animated short scheme the one that we were talking about in the last episode it's not being developed into a series at present but nickelodeon still have it for possible i guess future exploration in the meantime what they got out of it is this wonderful little three minute short film that's very much in keeping with their established style it's for a younger audience so there's it's less explicit Hmm. but it's also pretty dodge in a a way of like if you're looking for it it will raise an eyebrow certainly i i absolutely love duckman boy uh it's uh and i do love the humor that comes from um the guys at at dice they are the recently for us did that wonderful um advent calendar window the slimmer of the year yeah superb example and the one they did the year before was was spectacular as well yes but they're uh they're great (laughs) There's a sort of a gritty sort of uh, I don't know how to describe their their humour. Um, it's uncompromising. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, that's good. I think that something that I'll always feel very sort of fond of is their film with Rick Mail that they did for uh, Random Acts. Don't fear death. That was in 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 Rick Mail's last years. There wasn't a whole lot like that you could say. Oh well, he went out on a high note. Like, it was repeated recently. I saw a bit of that Man Down show. Yeah. F*** 
and PU. <laughs> and I, I, I thought it was a great idea having him be the dad of that other guy because they do Davis. look really similar. And yeah, that. But what a waste of such an amazing talent! Mm. It did seem that that was that was the recurring thing with a lot of stuff I would see Rick Mail in in his sort of older years was he was being wasted. There were these beer ads where it was like he was trying to be Lord Flashart. Yeah. You know, but it, it just wasn't. And it was just, you know, there was a Jonathan Creek where, anyway, Don't, don't Fear Death was a really wonderful little film that he narrated and he just threw every ounce of Rick Mail into it. And it worked so well with that sort of very, very over the top design style, that very fluid animation that they use and all these hideous, horrible things that are happening on screen. <laughs> so that I always, you know, I, as. As far as a sort of epitaph goes, I think that's a wonderful, uh, wonderful thing for him to kind of have. I don't know how many people know about it outside of our circles, but certainly people who are fans of British comedy, there's a lot to like there. Well, if you if you were going to get anyone to animate Rick Mail, it would be these guys. There is a there's it's a good match. It's a great match, and something um, to be said for for Duckman Boys in a world where. Um, I suppose you have to be economic with um, with TV series and, and action and stuff. There's some really nice little bits in this. There's bits where the characters lose their footing or the, the fluid animation um, mm. that the uh, the bad guys got to him. The the um, I can't remember the name of the bad guy now. Uh, Richard Battenberger. Richard Battenberger, yeah. I, some wonderful, nice bits in it. You know, you get a lot out of these guys. They put together, if you go onto their website, diceproductions.co.uk, and you find Duckman Boy, uh, they have a little gallery of like isolated animated GIFs of moments from the film. Mm. And they're just wonderful to just watch <laughs> grouped together. Just as little like animation exercises, they're wonderful. They know their stuff, you know. And I'll tell you what, why don't we just go ahead and, uh, and hear from Louis and Ian right now. Good stuff. I guess the first thing of you, you guys is that we came across... Uh, would have been Man and a Cat yeah. years ago now. Preceding that, it would be good to learn a little bit about what you guys were doing and how you sort of came to work together and what sort of led up to that film. Yeah. Well, start when we were 13, I suppose. We met at school. So it all started that and just sort of making each other laugh with stupid drawings. and. Yeah, I think there was like a com- competitive drawing element, yeah. definitely. We used to draw cartoons at school and just make each other laugh. And I think it just escalated. I think our entire sort of animation career so far has just been a, a continuation of that com- competitive uh, <laughs> drawing. And yeah. it just never really stopped. Yeah. And, um, yes, uh, and Man and the Cat actually started as just a, a, a silly sort of uh, drawing riffing on a newspaper cartoon thing when I was 16 I think something like that and um, at university sort of trying to work out what we're going to do for a, a final film and sort of just dug through the old sketchbooks and that was one of the things that seemed interesting and uh, never finished the student film <laughs> um, but it was probably for the best really because we got the funding and that helped yeah, it was such a weird idea that it meant that they couldn't really not fund it because it was it was called Man in a Cat and they wanted to know how that ended. Um, <laughs> it was quite interesting how um, yeah how like it started as such a just as kind of like a throwaway sketch mm. like draw, drawing and like it just built and built and built and built to the point where I'm actually when UK Film Council came on board and we did the digi shorts that re- that process basically taught us everything we know now I think like, yeah, yeah it really taught us a lot about like plotting and structure mm. and film as mm. film 
Um, so yeah. like th- that mentoring was really really important. Yeah. Before that, it felt a bit like we were we we're doing funny things, but it felt like we we're sort of messing around comparatively to what we got. All you know, in terms of what we were able to do, there was an incredible um, script editor called Kate Lees, I think, who was a big, quite instrumental in a sort of change in our sort of scope and what we wanted to do. Yeah, because I think she she was the script editor on like Train Spotting and all mm. Weddings and the Funeral and yeah, all those sort of yeah. things, and um, she just gave us like amazing advice, like. Um, and yeah, really sort of threw us into narrative. I think I think mm. that was like the point where we learnt how to decode film. Yeah, and you realise how far you can go. And she's she has quite a good mantra, which sort of I've sort of carried on. Which is just if you have a plot point, just say so what, and then <laughs> then you have to say okay, so where's that go? And you just keep on doing that until you feel like you've concluded all your loose ends. And yeah, yeah I think it's quite a good way to think of something if something doesn't feel quite satisfactory. Yeah. 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 So yeah, but it, it was yeah that man and the cat seems like yeah simultaneously a long time ago and not that long ago mm-hmm. and it's quite interesting. I, I kind of forget it exists and <laughs> but mm-hmm. then people really remember it, which is great. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it's people... still a nice, weird, psychologically charged, strange thing. So yeah, <laughs> so it's I go quite through nice back love and hate sort of phases of it as well. It's sort of, I really struggle with the idea of watching it again, but. Then occasionally I'm forced to watch it again, and it's actually quite enjoyable. <laughs> um, and it's weird how people, like five years later, sort of know us as the people who made that. And it's uh, yeah, sort of the yeah, the ambition is to make something that sort of eclipses that, hopefully at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so um, yeah, and that was great because that was our first big sort of chance. Really, that was that was uh, create uh, UK Film Council, as it was called then. Funded it and got to work with Kevin Eldon and Josie Long and sort of make use of you know, like the sort of the contacts and a bit of experience we had built up up to then, and um, yeah, and sort of got to do the festival circuit and you know, started doing Annecy and stuff like that of it and it's sort of yeah just yeah it was probably like it was a lot of firsts on that one it was like mm. yeah probably first proper voice recording we'd done first like big comedians we'd work with first festival film. Uh, first narrative short, like really like proper narrative yeah. short. Like, still the longest thing. It's still longest the longest thing we've ever made. made. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like lots of firsts on that one. I'm glad it held up, and I'm glad it like you know won some awards and stuff. And yeah. that's that's always a nice thing. Um, uh, but yeah, I definitely want to throw. I think we need to go back to like that sort of hardcore narrative thing. Well, yeah, yeah. The next thing is yeah, I want to do emotions. That's the emotions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because um, that's the thing that that film was is like. The reason it stands up, I think, isn't because it's just about gross bumhole things. It's as much about sort of romance and loneliness as yeah. about anything else. And it's not too saccharine, but it's still enough that it completely outweighs the sort of revolting aspects of it. So it, it, it would be quite hard to take that and make it saccharine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so after that, it was. Um, yeah, and that sort of gave us a bit of a break in terms of people realizing we could write stuff and animate things that were interesting, and uh, yeah, started off making short films off the back of that. I suppose. Yeah, everything's just felt like a yeah, like a, a domino effect of just mm. you know, always doing the next thing, and yeah, it's I think it's a shame now with like the way funding is for animation because like I don't think I don't know where we would have got that first step without. The UK Film, film yeah. Council scheme, um, 
you know, I really think that like the only thing at the moment that's kind of similar is is uh, Random Acts, mm. which you know we've done two Random Acts films, and it, we only got those because we've done the UK Film Council short. So it's kind yeah. of a, those those small steps into doing industry stuff are are kind of being taken away, which is a bit of a shame because we learned so much doing it. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I don't know if anything's coming its way at the moment in terms of, of uh, first foot on the, the step of filmmaking yeah because no, it all seems to be geared towards capitalizing on talent which is strange because there's no there's no easy way to have people start from scratch um you know because i say otherwise we would have been scrabbling make scrabbling around making low budget stuff for the sake of it for probably another year or two before we'd have got anywhere near yeah, it tends to take money to commit to making a full film mm. and commit to making something that you know won't make money it's going to just yeah. you know it's for festivals it's not you know you, only if like a tiny percentage you're going to win any awards that are, you know have mm. actually got you know big monetary value against them mm. and like in actual fact you don't make you don't make any of those films for that reason it's no, always no. just uh, I think if you did film. as well you you would be a very cynical process and I don't know how often you would, I think, I suppose it can work, but you'd end up making a certain type of film. I think Bill Plimpton does it very successfully. He makes something that's entertaining and true to him um, with a clear business model behind it. But, um, you know, that's, that's th- uh, 25 uh, years of experience, is it, that he's got now? So, um, yeah, and if for everyone to do that, then you'll saturate the market and then everyone <laughs> loses again. So, it's, um, so yeah, I mean, our stuff's always worked well as calling cards, really. That's the thing. It always leads on to more, like, worky work. And that's great, because it means you can carry on doing the arty stuff on the side of it, which is sort of... I think that's a fairly healthy mix. And, uh, yeah. But, um, yeah. And so the... I mean, it's talking about the domino effect. How, uh, I mean, it was a couple of years, was it, that led up to us making the first random acts? Yeah, I think because yeah. we were doing the festival circuit for a while... After immediately mm. after uh, Man in the Cat, and then yeah. I think it's only when it started getting festival recognition that then it that really like gave us an impetus to go to other people and say, Yeah, oh, we want to do more stuff. Um, uh, so yeah, so it is just totally always using that <clears throat> snowball effect and the momentum, and uh, yeah, and that, uh, hopefully that'll keep rolling, yeah. <laughs> keep rolling on. <laughs> hope so, yeah. The random X film, I remember when Don't Fear Death it went online, and we have a, a feature on that, the written feature, um, which I would encourage the uh, listeners to check out. But perhaps sort of in brief, maybe you could give a little background on that one for the benefit of the podcast listeners. Yeah, um, I mean, that idea came from... Because um, I, I don't think we'd even heard of Random Acts when... Or had we, did we come up with the film for Random I think, Acts? I think you we... came up with the concept of... Uh, that's it. Of that sort of... That's uh, pitch basically. That cell of death. Yeah, about no, a year I, or two before it. Yeah, yeah, I remember now. Because so, I, the the writing of that film was like, it's, I think it's the quickest film I've ever written. I think it was like the actual first draft of it was written in probably like under an hour. <laughs> it was like really, really, really fast. I think because it started with just the title, and then it kind of just flowed from there. I mean, it, it went through you know a few revisions and mm. stuff, but I've never got to a complete. Like short film that felt so right so quickly, yeah. Um, and then I think then then it's when uh, Random Acts were advertising and um, mm. yeah, and we, we did uh, we did short of the month with shooting people. So we're in the final of shooting sh- shooting people's film of the month. 
and the judge of the Shooting People Film of the Month competition was the editor of Random Acts or one of the editors mm. of Random Acts. And I think we cheekily emailed him uh, off on the side before the competition had um, finished or, or maybe just afterwards mm. and said, oh, we've got this film. It's about, um, you know, uh, uh, it's about death and it's about um, the Grim Reaper and it's about how, you know, actually death is nothing to be scared of, but like this total tongue in cheek. Mm. Uh, exploration of it and uh, you know real um, chance for us to play a bit of a switcheroo on the audience and, mm. and have like a nice twist ending um, in like a nice short package so we kind of gave this sell of of, of how it was going to be kind of almost like gross out imagery but really quite quite meaningful content like it's yeah. actually about like you know the biggest probably the you know the biggest uh, event of your life apart from being born is dying and uh, there aren't that many films about like death there's a, there's there's a lot of films about the, maybe like, uh, the, I suppose it's, yeah, maybe the fear of death is is like a quite a big film uh, theme, but maybe not not fearing death isn't necessarily yeah, a massive theme. Um, so yeah, I think it's just playing on that. A and we bit. spent a long time because of the that original, that um, first person uh, pitch of the idea of death is sort of ran for a while and sort of trying to work out. Um, Basically, how, what vessel do you put that in to make it sort of palatable to an audience? Mm. And eventually, the the pilot switcheroo came in, and that was that was nice. I think we uh, there was in London there was a, a a memento mori exhibition at the Wellcome Trust, and that was that was a big moment seeing that we realise that there is actually quite a big movement of celebrating death, and that's actually be a positive for focusing yourself in the in this life. Because at some point you'll die, so sort of aim to, aim towards where you want to be, and then at least if you die, you'll die getting there. Which is so that's I think when some if you say it to some people, they get really depressed. <laughs> but I think I think it's quite a nice way to sort of bring a bit of. Uh, Meaning to yeah. to everything, but we we definitely had a bit of um, sort of serendipity with the whole thing because we we so we emailed this this uh, random acts um, commissioner who then they put us in touch with their the anima- the person that was running their animation stream at the time, which was Chris Shepard, and like luckily for us, Chris Shepard um, just kind of got our sensibility. I think so. He he'd worked with Kevin Eldon on. Um, uh, 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 who I am and what I want. Yeah, who I am and what yeah. I want. Um, so he'd already worked with Kevin Eldon, <laughs> and yeah, we'd just worked with Kevin Eldon. So there was a link there, and I think his sense of humour is so dark. You know, he's like mm. you know things like Dad's Dead and um, uh, all of those sort mm. of like really dark, darkly comic shorts that he made. I think he he kind of saw maybe saw some of that in yeah. in Don't Fear Death, and um, so he was like the perfect person to pick it up and say, yeah, absolutely make it. And um, he was a really good influence on it because well he just said go for it you know he mm. didn't really um there was there's was hardly any notes there was hardly any process well that was the nice thing about random acts i think if they like like the idea they just say make it and <laughs> and it's uh it's not worth their time to interfere with it too much i suppose i mean i, I don't know what other people's processes have been like really no no i mean all the only thing i can compare it to is like you know the process of getting stuff to sort of like TV is like so many notes and um, you know layers of people that things have to go through. And Random Act seemed like literally we were making it and it was going on telly. There was no there was nothing in between. I've never it's a nice feeling. I've never known anything be so quite like direct and freeform and uh, and have so much creative freedom. Like we really didn't get any notes. 
which was fantastic. So yeah. it was a, it was a good it was a good process. And then like obviously the because we had we had so the Channel Four backing, we had a bit of money, and we had um, like the concept, like the the final bit that I think made that film is just the casting. So when we were working trying to find a a voice and someone that could be like really authoritative and that could be like a, almost like a sleazy salesperson for death. Um, we kind of were like searching for a voice that would have that sort of yeah. swagger and confidence, and it was just immediately like someone like Rick Mail would yeah, be. Yeah. I can't would remember be the there was one, there but... was like three names, and obviously he was the top one because that's that's who you want it to be like. I, yeah. I can't you can't imagine it being anyone else. Well, we put it in as like a template. We, it was yeah, like yeah, you know yeah. someone like it wasn't you know we were actually yeah. going to approach him, but there was yeah yeah. And again, it's this whole serendipity thing. Like it just seems like it just works out sometimes, and we'd. Um, done some animations for Channel 4's sketch show Anna and Katie um, which was like a, a sort of short-lived sort of sketch pilot but um, still really good like kind of TV spoof stuff and the director of that was Ed Bai who directed um, Red Dwarf and Bottom and he is best mates with Rick Mail, as it <laughs> happened so when we asked our mate who's a producer you know um, do you know someone who sounds like Rick Mail or has the confidence of Rick Mail? He kind of said, "Well, you do realise Ed <laughs> kind yeah. of knows Rick Mail and is his mate, yeah. and so like that that connection was made, and the kind of rest of his history yeah. from there on." I mean, the, the extra beauty. Of it, I mean, it's amazing that he he emailed on our behalf to the agent, but uh, by doing that, he implied himself in the in the whole thing, and he yeah, actually yeah. said, I, "I think." I think they think I'm doing the film as well. Is, is that okay? I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's 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 okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. So we got to have two heroes in one room at the same time, which was yeah, that was quite surreal. I mean, that's sort of there's not many moments where I get starstruck when like mm. we work with people, but as soon as Rick Mail says something that you're involved in. It's hard to really move or think. <laughs> so, um, and it's even more yeah. surreal when you know, sort of, you've got Ed Bice out there, sort of like saying, "Oh, do you know? Do you think you should do it a bit like this?" And yeah. Like, yes, Ed, I think he should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so yeah, that was that was a that was a very good day. But yeah, I think um, yeah, as a whole, that film was probably the probably the smoothest sort of process in terms of mm. like creatively yeah. having an idea getting it made like how we mm. wanted it and having all the sort of the talent involved there it was, kind of all happened yeah, by accident yeah. really I think um, stylistically for the film as well it was it was quite straightforward because we had sort of it was the first time I think we made stuff that looked like the sort of sketchy drawings I'd done before that felt like a tight version of where we'd been going towards before Man and the Cat happened so um, and we've always done a lot of character based stuff and this film had I think 45 plus characters in it because each scene are a new character so it was kind of like a treadmill of just making little sketches of everyone building towards this theme in the film and uh, and uh, just the whole sort of colourful but fairly flat motif I think actually worked for it as well because it sort of puts this nice gloss on this really scary concept yeah. it was definitely nice to see it come to life because we'd we'd spent so long just yeah drawing in sketchbooks and drawing little cartoons and like Louis' style was kind of like quite um, established and it was really nice to see that come to life and move as as it looked in the sketchbooks from when mm. we were like 16 yeah. um, and that's quite nice to to go back to that almost like go back to a sort of the your you know the, the natural way you would draw yeah, a funny just, character well it's sort of the, the influence has always been 
sort of lumpy people from Birmingham, basically. And so there's <laughs> there's a lot of lumpy people who look half awake, but also decaying as well. <laughs> so in it, um, so yeah, yeah. Birmingham's um, a good a good model for purgatory. <laughs> that's that's recorded now. It's not true. No, it it's is. good. It's a good it's, place. It's just aesthetically, there's a reason why we're still here. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> um, not still. Just like that's just just here. <laughs> yeah, and that's. Uh, I think at the same time, that is. Don't fear death happened. I can't remember how did Gregory the dancer come back. Is it? Oh no! Um, you saw a, an opportunity for a, a dance-based film to be made through Random X, and yeah, we had think, this um, little idea. Yeah, I think once we were once we were making a film for Random X, then we started getting a bit of like the inside scoop on what Random X were doing a little bit, and um, they, yeah, they. I mean, I think it was probably just as we were finishing Don't, Don't Fear Death or a couple of months afterwards I think it was, was actually it? before we started um, oh really yeah yeah because oh, yeah, no, they kind yeah, of overlapped a, a bit yeah I yeah, know it was before so um, yeah I saw an advert uh, calling for um, artists to create animations for to work with a dance company a ballet company no less yeah. and uh, we I, well I just saw it and just thought well if, if Random Acts is, is like this process is going to be the same then we, we want to do another one yeah. and it was kind of a, a, a little cheeky application to do yeah. our sort of comedy film that we wanted to do <clears throat> but hopefully they wouldn't notice that we were going to kind of make a very very silly silly film I think we felt confident because we already had like we knew we were going to be making that first random acts and we had again, talking about make, uh, writing a film very quickly we wrote Gregory's a Dancer on the train back from Bristol Encounters, actually, from one of the... I think after Man the Cat screened there originally. Mm. And, yeah, it just... The idea of a, a kid dancing and then him keeping on dancing all the way to the point he dies in a tracksuit. Yeah. Um, just like, yeah, that, that, that'll be fine. Yeah. I think I think both, <laughs> both of those Random Acts films feel really entwined for us. Like It's hard for us to separate them out because they were kind of made at a similar time and commissioned yeah, yeah, at a yeah. similar time. It feels like a, they were one kind of beat in mm. what, what we've been doing yeah well because it was we, we've got this constant thing of doing as much live action as animation sort of now anyway and uh, yeah the, they don't I don't see them as two different types of filmmaking they're both just two different mediums that you can make a story through and one suits the other one slightly better yeah because we so. could have animated both of them but actually the live action sort of composited Thing was, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was mostly animation, really, if you think about it, because it was just mm. it was all composited live action. It wasn't yeah. actually shot, so you, you you're constructing it in the same way as an animation, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, interesting process. And uh, I mean, since then, like other sort of live action stuff, and uh, one I'm particularly fond of is Croissant. Is there a story behind that one? <laughs> that was that was again. I think we were sitting down. Having uh, at Soho Joe's, they do. I don't know if they still do. They have a very good breakfast deal. That is a coffee and a croissant for two pounds in Soho. That's amazing. But we were just uh, there, and he got a bit of croissant on his face. I was like, oh, good bit. And then we just you know, it was early in the morning, we're just we're being just, silly. I think and we, 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 we were. What were we there? We were there for. Uh, were we there for a recording? It might have been. Actually, I think we might have been waiting for to do a voiceover recording or or something like that or a meeting. And um, actually, was that a Duckman Boy? I think we might have been recording the voices for Duckman Boy when yeah. we were there. So we were kind of. It's just one of those things where if I think if you're in the right creative mood and you you can make anything funny. And the croissant thing was really like it's such a small thing like getting a bit of croissant stuck mm. in your face like everyone does it and it's always it's the awkwardness of 
you're always trying to point at the wrong side of someone's face and you're always mm-hmm. trying to say, oh no, it's just there, it's yeah. just there. And it's something that we kind of, like, it, that's probably like the observational nugget, <laughs> if there is one, that it starts off on. And just then, from then on, it was just yeah. how far can we push this into yeah, the yeah. absolute ridiculous and surreal. I think a lot of people would make the mistake of like, oh yeah, that's, that's funny because, you know, sometimes that happens. But for us, the enjoyment is like, yeah, how far can you escalate it all the way to the end and get a bit of satisfaction from it as well. But knowing that you've you've rinsed that as far as it's ever going to go. Yeah, I think it, like um, if it was Michael McIntyre, he would have done a little routine yeah, about yeah. how getting croissant on your face is a bit awkward, and then he would have ended it. And mm. it's almost like if you took that observational gag and just pushed it into the you know tenth dimension and uh, you know really break down the walls of reality. I think that was, and also mm. like I think every film we do, we want to try a new technique. In mm. some way, and we, we wanted to play with practical effects, yeah. so we wanted to build a croissant, we mm. wanted to stick it to people's faces, yeah. we wanted to have like real jam squirting out people's eyes. And... The thing is, we'd, we'd, we'd had that idea for again, probably a couple of years before that, and we've got sort of a little raft of these silly little sketches you want to make, but you always want to make them to the best they could be because there's lots of, there's lots of things we want that make us laugh in our own very specific way. And if you made it in quite sort of a, a cut corner way it would just not be as funny and I think for that, that was like an opportunity where we had all our mates at the right time who'd be able to make it exactly what it should have been and um, yeah and there's a few other things that I'd quite like to do that sort of I mean it's because it could have just been a sketch but I think it, it pushed it so far that it feels a bit more like a film because uh, you actually go through kind of like an emotional journey with them. You almost feel worn out by the end. Yeah, um, I think taking yeah. taking ridiculousness very very mm. seriously is is really important because like mm. like back, way back to Man and the Cat, that could have been just oh it's funny because it's weird. And I, d- I don't think there's I think there is an emo- like an emotional core to it. Like actually the ridiculousness of thinking what is going through the mind of a man that lives inside a cat. Like it's quite a strange mm. thing to do. Yeah. It's also quite a strange thing to do to think, you know, how can we turn like the tiniest, tiniest yeah, yeah. little croissant mishap <laughs> into the biggest, most well, existential crisis you can imagine? <laughs> um, it's a it's a thing that we keep doing. It's sort of like exploring the the psychology of toilet humour, basically. So sort of if you've got a dirty joke, that's that's funny. But then if you're explain if you're going through the motions of why is that funny to into that person in that person struggling with whatever situation they're going through it becomes a bit more satisfying I yeah i think we i think that one of the things i've noticed like in the last few films is that you could you could i don't think this maybe comes across through the films necessarily mm. but if you looked at them as like a little set i think you could imagine all of them happening in the head of someone yeah, yeah, yeah. like we quite like it, the idea that you know in like don't fear death is actually like presented as someone's kind of dark twisted fantasy mm. like that and it kind of breaks you out of that at the end mm. uh gregor is a dancer is like a really hyper realist like hyper stylized version of someone's rise and fall um croissant is a complete like mental breakdown visualized yes. and a man and the cat could be you know if it could be like a normal guy going through a relationship yeah. breakdown but it's kind of visualized yeah. in this bizarre twisted way i think all of them have like a normal story behind them yeah, yeah. as like if you wrote it down as a sentence like you know pop star goes through mental breakdown and loses it like gets everything and yeah, then loses yeah. everything that's it would kind be a, of a it'd be a very different pitch but it's it's there in it inside it somewhere it means you can enjoy it for its like, the surface bits and the bits you relate to but um yeah I think the satisfying bit for us is is knowing there is 
there is that guideline going through it. Yeah, yeah. even if we like bury it, be, mm. you know, beneath you know, layers yeah. and layers of fake croissant. Um. <laughs> well, I think if we're doing lots of what people would like deem surreal, I think if you just go off on completely random tangents, I don't particularly believe in sort of random in that way anyway. But you, um, it becomes a bit meaningless. And if you're thinking of a reason why would you know something happen that doesn't seemingly doesn't make any sense, then somewhere deep down there there's a there's a reason for a person to react to it in a certain way or it feels right in just a uh an unspoken not quite tangible way it does feel like psychology is the guiding post for all of that you yeah know, like why why you know what would be in keeping with this character's thought process in this moment and i think that's like that's actually quite realistic i don't think you can just jump around and do something that doesn't make any sense it i think mm. has to follow through on a even like it doesn't matter how ridiculous it is it has to make sense so yeah, yeah. so yeah it's it's quite interesting looking at them as a set actually yeah yeah i think they progress <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah does duckman boy come before it or after it that's the thing because yeah, it's like before. Yeah, that's where you come well timeline it comes before so we made mm. we made duckman boy a long time ago now didn't we that was that was over a year ago but yeah um, we finished it february last year yeah, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so yeah, that's taken a long time to be mm. released, but um, it's quite weird. So it's it's actually quite strange revisiting now because it feels like we're looking back on something that hasn't been released yet, yeah. <laughs> which is quite odd. Um, but it's quite nice because I, I haven't seen it in, in ages. In fact, yeah, yeah. Is, uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing it again with fresh eyes. Well, it's when you're watching it with other people's eyes that's the uh, that's the disturbing <laughs> way of looking at it, but. Um, yeah, it's been a. I've, I've done a few things. I actually showed it to. I showed it to my nephew's school. That was an interesting experience. They actually, but you know, they, that was a bunch of seven-year-olds, being told they could watch a cartoon, so they're going to act positively. So I think that might be a slightly skewed result. But I'd like to see, yeah, what people actually genuinely think because we enjoy it. But then, you know, there's also things that you know it could be if it was ever going to be adapted. yeah I think yeah. I think the difference with with Duckman Boy is it was commissioned by a kids broadcaster and it was meant for kids and that's a different mindset to making a festival film or making something that makes just us like mm. us laugh and you know our sense of humour so kind of translating our humour to something that is not going to you know break a child's brain mm. for the rest of its life um, is is kind of something that was a bit of a challenge, I think. I you know, think, yeah, well, and I don't you, think we really, um, I don't think we shaved off too many edges. Really, no. we spent a lot of time working out the kind of shape of it and the sort of the sort of characters and where the lines were, but um, and sort of like knocked knocked out uh, plot points. But you took over the, the the writing completely on that, really, didn't you? Um, I, I think remember. the yeah. I mean, I think the 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 challenge with the writing, like I like I said, there was like number one challenge was how to make it still funny, still our sense of sense of humour and our sensibility, but also be something that's kind of likable that kids will yeah, will get yeah. along with without kind of. I don't like it when when things are overtly trying to get kids on side, but yeah, I like. I think we we approach that one with what will make them think. You know, I you know what is this? What where, yeah. where's the depth? What is the background to these characters? And the the big thing was with that was we were given three minutes to tell a story, mm-hmm. and we really, just really wanted to tell the biggest story we could could in three minutes, yeah. which is like narratively, like Man and the Cat was like nine minutes, and you can tell a story in nine minutes. I think it feels like you can easily do a 
you know, if you're going to do the basic like three act structure, you can do like, you know, three minute, three minute, three minute, and it kind of, you can work it that way. Whereas this one, like a minute to do each kind of plot point is yeah. really not very it long. It's quite intense. Um, it, I remember we'd spent a lot of time working out what our type of humour was, yeah. is, and um, just there wasn't a lot of it is, it's like the unspoken stuff which takes a long time, so that went out the window. So a lot of it is gag based, which I think works perfectly for it, and it just means as it's just got a really quick pace because you have to fit all the dialogue in, which is the fun bit. Yeah, we yeah. made sure it wasn't a shouty thing either because there's lots of things where. Um, sort of personalities sort of replaced by kids screaming at each other getting them to do stuff and I think we we made it enough that there's you've got, you have a motivated character wanting to do stuff but he's still deluded and he has a a brother who's an accountant who it doesn't have time for this um, yeah I think I think, I think we, we might yeah I think we at the very least I hope we've created the the, the only uh, accountant um, sort of kids, Ace, kids TV narrative. Yeah, yeah, kids yeah. TV character yeah. Um, um, yeah I think there's there's plenty of room for it I think we could saturate the market really well yeah I think we should expand yeah, yeah. to all the financial services yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah I think as going back to what we were saying about like kind of all of the all of the films kind of leading on to the other ones I mean Duckman Boy came out of a we'd done the two films for Channel 4 and then uh, we, I think we came up with the idea for Duckman Boy to pitch to Channel 4 as like a, a pilot for an, an adult animated series. Yeah, they had a series called uh, Blaps, which, um, yeah, which were about seven minutes long and mm-hmm. quite, quite str- I mean, it's a, a strange format, but great for what they obviously intended it for was a vehicle for people who are already fairly established. It, it makes sense for that. And obviously, we, <laughs> uh, we got feedback basically saying it's mental but we're not going to do it yeah yeah Yeah. so I mean because like the first version of Duckman Boy was quite adult like he was he was like an older character well the the main character is quite old it's fairly disturbing looking really it's sort of like a man child (laughs) a man child that drinks lager and lives at home with his mum oh that was the the original concept as well which is still still a soft spot for it was going to be called Nun and Nun and Nun and Nun and Duckman where he has four hench women who are all nuns. <laughs> that was just purely so that we could do yeah. the gag. No, 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 duck man. And yeah. that was that but it, um, <laughs> but it, it actually it stuck all the way to the point of us pitching it to Nickelodeon, and um, they uh, they went for it. And then as we started to develop it, rightly so, um, they said maybe we should drop the nuns because the US are a bit funny about religion <laughs> and I still part of me was trying to fight that uh, no, no that makes complete yeah. sense yeah. but there was, uh, there was yeah there was just nice bits like there was two of the nuns one of them looked like Gary Sinise and one of them looked like Kevin Bacon um, <laughs> for, no, for, no <laughs> for no reason just uh, it, but it would be unspoken but very obviously Gary Sinise <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, but yeah but it's uh, it was a, like I think the first challenge was to like age it down to like uh, up to like 12 year old kids yeah. level of, of sort of acceptability rather than the kind of adult Channel 4 mm. audience that we originally had intended it for mm. and I think we were quite lucky that we um, had this like bizarre concept and it, it kind of some of the bizarre bits stuck I think um, which yeah. I think make, make, makes it a little bit more It was important to do that because and that's as well because it's it's kind of we, we debated whether to have American voices as well because you, your first thing is oh, well that's going to make it more marketable or more acceptable to executives and, and audiences but it is very British so mm. I think to have made it American 
would have involved tweaking at least with the scripts and how people are going and it just it just felt right to be British and also how many chances are you going to get at doing a pilot that's all British so yeah and I think because like the humour is so based on undercutting mm. sort of like the so we've got this like grand grandiose like supervillain who's constantly undercutting himself and constantly mm. being exposed as not as grandiose as he no. wants to be and we've got like a, a wannabe superhero who has no powers and is just useless and kind of pricking the, the superhero bubble a little bit and then like the sidekick who actually is an accountant and doesn't want anything to do with anything it's I think that's a really British thing to yeah. kind of undercut your entire yeah. <laughs> like we make it we're making like a, a kind yeah. of a superhero based short and no one has powers and even yeah. the villains are rubbish and everything's kind of mundane and undercut yeah. it's, I guess it was kind of like our external view of the 1960s Batman Ian's Particularly, yeah. sort of obsessed by 1960s Batman, and um, and I've, I am as well, but maybe not to quite the same level. But yeah. it's there's, I think we've both always enjoyed how shonky and explicitly shonky the 1960s Batman is. They're, they've they've got sort of hammy stage actors in in just in costumes, and that somehow makes them a supervillain. Yeah, and they and, um, the and everything's cardboard, and it's and yeah, it's, yeah, and the, the plots are so brilliant. I mean, it, it would. It just kind of, I think it just expands your mind a little bit. In, in uh, like, I remember there's one 1966 Batman series plot, which is, I think we were talking when we were writing it. I told you this plot, and mm. it was um, some cowboys have come to Gotham, and they're they're driving a massive um, uh, like racing car. And so Batman's thinking how... Uh, they're like robbing banks, but they've got the fastest car in the world, so you can't catch them, but Batman, Batmobile can't catch them. And Batman's genuine solution to try and beat the cowboys in their racing car is just to build a bigger racing car. And I just absolutely love... I think, like, that when, when the hero is, like, more ridiculous than the ridiculous villains, yeah, and, yeah. like, I just love that. Yeah. And it's just so silly and so surreal and, like... Just Batman building a massive race, racing car, just fantastic. <laughs> like, that's how superheroes should be yeah. for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I love Banana Man as well. Yeah, same, yeah, same yeah exactly. It's, it's got, banana, premise, it's got yeah, roots yeah. in Banana Man as yeah, well. Yeah, There's, um, yeah and we, ages ago we had sketch ideas for, for a failed... Batman and Robin who have lost all their their budget so and lived live together in a bed set. Yeah, and with uh, and they had to trade in the the Batmobile and have to use a uh, tandem cycle to get everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> it's, so basically yeah, casting it's... the Chuckle Brothers as Batman and Robin. Like, <laughs> so like, yeah. there's been many many versions of this, but mm-hmm. this is the way it's ended up yeah. coming out as uh, as Duckman Boy. Yeah, and a, a lot of credit has to be given to well, I mean particularly Alexi at, at Nickelodeon because he's. Uh, yeah, of all the people we got selected out of, he he gave everyone a lot of freedom, and he just wanted everyone to express what they wanted to do, and just that. I think to be fair, that's gonna that you're gonna get the most interesting results out of. It. I, I think it's he's making a really smart decision to be creator led. You know, I think that that's like it's got to be the way forward. I mean, like the independence of animation scene as it is in the, at the moment. There's so many great talented people out there. They're all really unique, and the only way you're going to stand out is by kind of letting these people tell you what what should be happening, you know. And um, like I, th- I just think the unique aspect, and like so, Alexi was was fantastic in from like I think there were like 950 pitches that they sifted through, and they made like 14 films, I think, in the end, something like that, 14 to 20 films, maybe. It, I think percentage-wise, that's accurate. I think I was, oh, was it? Yeah, I've got something so, like that. I have a feeling it might be. We'll find out on the website soon. I think I'm feeling it, it was like, twelve. 
Eight of eight hundred submissions, something like that. Big, yeah. big, a big I number think, and a small number. I think percentage-wise, <laughs> I think you're both spot on. Though I think that, that okay. they they round down. I think that's yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, for, for him to, but I think when you've got that many pitches and then to pick, kind of, I think we're a weird choice. You know, I think that like kind of yeah. for um, the style and the style of humor and all that sort of stuff, it's quite. I think he's. He's been quite brave in the people he's picked and yeah. and picked really sort of like interesting people with unique kind of mm. styles and uh, and I, I think that's that's the way it's got to go. So hopefully, like some of these shorts turn into full series and because um, I'm not sure it's happened yet on the international no. shorts. Program. Um, no, well, no. There was there was a, a particular comment by Cartoon Brew recently, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. but um, no, I think the scope for I, I think a lot of these series could be sort of cut and shut or you know developed further to the next level because I think it's a really good way to for people to express the direction they could go mm-hmm. and um but I think there's a lot further they could they could go because I think like we made an interesting example of of entertainment for children but I think you know we we would then need to go to the process of how does that story work over you know 52 episodes and and stuff and that would that would be a nice process to look at and not one they expected to go through after we'd made it but um yeah it's interesting because like making a short is so different to making an episode of something or yeah. designing a series for something and like mm. I think we made the conscious decision with this not to be not to be cynical about it not mm. to try and make like something that's clearly just a, a pilot taster yeah. we just wanted to tell a story with some characters and yeah. and I think that like whether that backfires or not, it, like it doesn't really matter. I think it, we stayed yeah. true to the idea of telling a story properly. Um, it wasn't just like a style sample, um, which I, you know, I think yeah. I don't know if anyone else would have done has, has done that. But it does cross your yeah. mind. You think we could just do a sample mm. of what it, well, it might look like. I think the thinking was that you could do a scene from an episode of something that doesn't exist, and then it would always be a scene from an episode of something that never existed. So, instead, we made something that did exist. <laughs> yeah, as so, a yeah. complete thing. Yeah, as a yeah. complete thing, as three minutes that had its own personality and, you know, started somewhere, left somewhere. Yeah. And, yeah. And it was, you know, it, it could always just get ripped apart and turned into a new thing. That's the, the thing. Yeah, but yeah, then definitely. a scene from a thing that doesn't exist could also do that. So, yeah. but I think it's the same the same Def- end goal definitely way. definitely satisfying to the challenge of telling a story in three minutes yeah I'm, I'm always impressed by how you managed to do that in such a small amount of time I, I'm still not entirely sure that it, some physics weren't like laws weren't broken <laughs> I don't know I'm not sure yeah. <laughs> it did seem like a bit of a, a tough ask but yeah mm. no, I'm, I'm, I think I'm pleased I need to watch it again I, haven't, I, yeah. I honestly haven't seen it in months <laughs> I think I seem to remember spent because uh, we did at the same time we almost but almost overlapping, we did a um, a taster series for a taster. Um, what do you call it? Pilot for um, factory um, crates. Yeah, they just call factory now. I think they just factory. called factory. Okay, factory. Yeah, that, yeah. call them factory. Um, yeah, and there was that was a similar process of how do you <laughs> crush down? Oh, in that there was nine characters in one. Yeah, sense. nine characters yeah. in. I think like a ninety a second, half, yeah. ninety second teaser yeah, pilot. That was quite um, intense. So like that but, was, and that was again like yeah. I think all the films have kind of come in twos mm. almost, and that was yeah. like just like that was right hot on the heels of yeah. no, just before it, my boy, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. It was. It interesting. I was going to say the, the reason I mentioned it is because a similar process with that. That was a case of how do you 
sort of squash that all down into one tin. But with Dutman Boys, how do you trim back everyone's really nice performance without um, trampling on them and and make them breathe in between it? So that's, that's the thing. A lot of the humour comes from you know uh, jokes that didn't go well, so they look like a failure, and that's where the joke is. So you have to have that quiet and to have room for that within three minutes as well yeah, it's, it's, yeah. and I, I think like, we kind of hit our stride with things like voice recording and, mm. and all of that so we've kind of yeah. got enough experience of that to direct that really um, in like a really smooth process so like we yeah. work with um, so it's Mike Wozniak who's in Man Down yeah. um, and uh, Rasmus Hardiker who's in loads of animated uh, yeah. series he's Mr. Animation um, at the moment he's in yeah Thunderbirds and all that sort of stuff yeah, isn't he yeah. and uh, and then uh, our sort of like he's our current muse I'd say <laughs> uh, there's a guy called John Henry Fowler who's uh, or Fowl even and yeah. um, he's called the Story Beast he's a comedian and um, we, he's he's the uh the jam squirting man in croissant and uh-huh. he, he is also uh, the uh, villain in Duckman Boy so we've worked mm-hmm. with him twice and I'm about to work with him again uh, next week I think um, which is quite nice so it's a it's a it's nice to find people you can work with again and, and yeah I think the voice recording stuff has just been a pleasure actually the last few times yeah doing it. it's always the most fun part of it as well that's the thing that's where everyone really gets to have a lot of fun and then you everything you do afterwards you base on all that fun that you had so does Nickelodeon have any sort? Does it retain any rights or anything, or has it sort of reverted back to you at this point? Uh, it's it's pretty straightforwardly cut. They they own the, uh, the IP and that episode. So if you know if we wanted to take Duckman Boy somewhere else, we couldn't. But I'm kind of fine with that because it, like, it was its own self-contained thing. Yeah, and I think that like that that was always the deal, and it, it's always the deal with those sort of things. I think you we were very. It was very clear from the outset that you know you you take the you put your hat name in the hat to uh, make uh, a series and you're doing it for Nickelodeon they're paying for it and um, and yeah and I, I think that's fine and and also I think you've just got to be confident about your your um, ability to come up with new stuff I mean yeah. we uh, with we learnt so much doing every single film but actually Duckman Boy was the first taste of really pulling like a a world together and presenting it in a really short amount of time and I think there's so much that is not not in the short that we've already got on down on paper hmm. um, that would have been like an expanded world for it and like all the different characters that like we've got I'm sure we've got a list of like super villains and like different bits yeah, of the yeah. world because the, the actual the overall concept of Duckman Boy was that the the world is run by superheroes uh, super villains sorry so every like the bakery the you know the uh, the Cake shop, the swimming pool, everywhere is run in, by a supervillain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So everyone in the town is a supervillain, and there are only two people that are not supervillains, and that is uh, Dwayne and Neil, the uh, weird half duck people. <laughs> um, so <laughs> whose parentage are questionable? <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, so like it, it's it's maybe slightly frustrating that there's a whole expanded world there, but actually I think it it's put us in such a good position to be able to create those worlds that. It's mm. not that big a deal. Well, the slightly interesting thing as well is that I think we we showed a slightly different film to what that description is. So, yeah. um, I think if we ever wanted to explore that that kind of concept, we probably could outside of the IP agreement because the IP was for what we gave them. Yeah. In the so yeah. what it turned into rather than what the yeah, original. Yeah, that concept isn't actually in concept. the short at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. So, that's true. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we might have a a parrot uh, based um, <laughs> anti supervillain kids series. Yeah. Cool. Great. Well, thanks very much. Yeah. yeah cheers, mate. Bye. Bye. 
That was Louis Hudson and Ian Ravenscroft of Dice Productions. You can look at more of their fantastic work, including the most recent short Duckman Boy, at diceproductions.co.uk. As always, the squiggly communication channels are open for our listeners to get in touch via whatever means they wish. Of course, we're on Twitter, at squiggly. Uh, you can email steve at steve at squiggly.co.uk or myself, ben, at squiggly.co.uk. And we've got the uh, Facebook page, facebook.com slash squigglymagazine. You can send us messages or leave comments or whatnot. Tell us how we're doing. Tell us how we look. We'll turn them from writing into sounds. So uh, regarding the British Animation Awards news, we got a comment from uh, our good friend of Squiggly, Robert Greaves, who has written some stuff for us in the past. He's a fantastic animator. He directed the film Sausage, and he's been working recently uh, for Sesame Street, which didn't get a nomination, but it wasn't entirely bad news. He uh, writes, Very happy the series my wife worked on got nominated for Best Preschool, Lily's Driftwood Bay. But sad, my film for Sesame Street didn't make the final nominations. Well, congratulations, Lily's Driftwood Bay. Yeah. We'll be rooting for you. I think I, I, it's going to be quite tense in the Greaves household um, for, between now and, and March. And uh, if anything does happen, wouldn't it be nice to plonk the award on the table? Just to sort of... <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that is an argument ender, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Which one of us has the BAA? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so uh, the original Nick Park drawing, is that uh, mine or is that yours? Is that... <laughs> well, yes, congratulations and commiserations. Some nice comments on Twitter as well. Tobias Schwartz writes, took a quick break for some inspiration and discovered PES. Excellent, as I'm animating away, doing a squiggly podcast marathon. Very entertaining stuff. Why, thank you, Tobias. Thank you very much. That is actually something I do like to hear as people actually working while listening. Mm-hmm. I think that's what we did it for originally, really, wasn't it? Because uh, people couldn't really read and animate at the same time. we kind of go cross-eyed. Lazy. Yeah. But speaking of nice comments on Twitter, we also got one from Joanna Quinn. Um, a great new squiggly podcast with uh, Elliot Cohen. Uh, nice to hear the voice behind the legend. And she also says, a very nice thing about you and me, Ben. She says, it's so comforting to have Ben Mitchell and Steve Henderson in the room, keeping me company as I draw. Oh, See... We do some good. It makes up for all the other awful stuff we do in the rest of our lives. <laughs> we bring a little bit of something or other to the world. Tiny little bit of sunshine. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned before, if anyone has anything they'd like to say on Twitter, any suggestions, any recommendations, uh, anything they'd like us to talk about, anything that's uh, getting them excited, anything that's getting you angry, or anything in between, uh, by all means, we're eager to hear what you have to say. I want to know what you think, and maybe what the audience thinks, if somebody wants to get in touch with us, about this live Simpsons episode, Ben. Have you seen this? Uh, I saw it in the corner of Facebook when it says, like, suggested news stories, and uh, did not uh, did not investigate further. <laughs> and I call myself a fan. Well, apparently they're going to be using motion capture technology, and, and Dan Castellaneta is going to be reading out tweets as Homer Simpson um on the day for the for the last three minutes of the show so that, i think that's, that's enough time to to say cut to commercial breaks if he if he has a breakdown or something <laughs> who knows maybe he'll have like his network moment <laughs> it would be great if homer was mad as hell yeah and wasn't going to take it anymore <laughs> i do remember they did this thing this was they would do like stage shows uh, of the cast doing readings 
and they would like perform to the projected episode. Those were, of course, hugely popular events, you know, major sellout sort of things. I don't think they did major tours with them, but like they do it every once in a while. And Family Guy did it because the Simpsons had done it. So kind of in keeping with the theme of what Family Guy does, they did the exact same thing. And they were billed as like, you know, the Simpsons Live or Family Guy Live. And I saw this wonderful talk that Matt Stone and Trey Parker did in Montreal nearly 10 years ago now at the Just for Last Festival. And it was great. It was like an onstage, you know, retrospective slash Q&A. Some fantastic stories about the production. There was a great story about Isaac Hayes and Scientology and why that all went the way it did. And it was just a great, you know, really nice, intimate sort of evening with two amazing people. But the problem was, I guess, that it, the name that the Just for Last Festival decided to give this event was South Park Live. So I guess a bunch of people who had seen like The Simpsons Live and Family Guy Live went to this thing thinking that you know the, the large ensemble cast of South Park was going to be on stage doing all their voices and stuff, not knowing that it's two guys, yeah. <laughs> pretty much, and a lot of computer manipulation. And uh, people were like pissed off. It was because so, it was such a great night. Like it was such a cool thing to see and be in the room for and hear all these amazing stories. And I would have, I far preferred that idea than the idea of the two of them just kind of reading a script mm. to an episode I'd already seen. But no, I guess people thought it was like false advertising or something. It got really bad reviews. But you know, they did songs. They did like, you know, uh, Trey Parker plays the piano. So they did these acoustic songs from South Park and Team America. It was great. There's probably more of a kind of novelty appeal in seeing, you know, so many voices come out of one man, like in The Simpsons, whereas in South Park, they don't really have much range, you know? Mm. So I'd, I'd, I'd get like, you know, it would be cool to see like someone like Dan Castellaneta or Maurice LaMarche or Billy West or, you know, John DiMaggio, all these people going through like voices and stuff like that. That's It's surreal and it's cool. You know, like I, you know, very early on in the podcast, I think one of the most surreal moments ever is having characters from Futurama talk to me over the phone. <laughs> this is f***ing weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. And to this day, I regret that I didn't ask him to do Ren Howick. <laughs> but it was like it was like eight in the morning his time. I'm like, uh, you'd probably need a few shots or something in you before you could do Ren. Yeah. So I do get the appeal of that, but I didn't feel like the the anger at like them not doing that for South Park was that justified. And he did do the Cartman voice, but because it doesn't sound like it does in the show, because they pitch it up in the show. I guess maybe people just didn't know that that was how South Park was made. Mm. So yeah, I, a Simpsons live event, it would make more sense if it was something more like that, you know? Like actually sort of broadcast, you know, a panel show or something or other, a stage thing. And uh, did you ever see the old uh, Inside the Actors studio where they had all the Simpsons people on them? Uh, I didn't know. Oh, I haven't, oh, it's really good. You should try and find it. Mm. It was back when there was still kind of an enthusiasm in the air. It was. I don't think they had been out in public as much, perhaps, yeah. doing that kind of thing. So I think for a lot of people there, it was quite sort of surreal and trippy to see, you know. Had there been any uh, tension over how much they get paid yet at this point? Possibly not, because Harry Shearer's there. <laughs> and he's in very good spirits about the whole thing. Like, he's going through Burns and Smithers and all those characters with a lot of, you know, enthusiasm and stuff like that. So I think that he was, you know, I th- that would suggest that everyone was in a good place yeah. or, or maybe they had just gotten a lot of money, wow. but uh, I'm not 100% sure on the, on the timeline there, but that was one of those sort of like last really fond memories of 
the Simpsons out and about. Mm-hmm. I suppose if anyone wants to get in touch and to, you know, what what do they think to the whole Simpsons thing? I think it'd be interesting to 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 know what uh, the the listening audience thinks to to the Simpsons or to anything that we've discussed, uh, or as any messages for our guests or anything else uh, from the podcast. Please get in touch. We're very accessible. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to the inevitable. God. It's been a while since you two have talked about The Simpsons comments, <laughs> except that it actually has, and we don't really talk about this. Realistically, we don't actually talk about the show that much, but for some reason, that's become one of the things, I guess, that we're known for doing. Yeah. What would we do? What would we actually talk about if we got Matt Groening on the podcast? What would we actually f-ing talk about? Well, I think, I think first of all, he owes you a kiss. Well, that is true. So once, we, once we've righted that wrong, yeah. we'd... Uh, We'd grill him, I suppose. So our touring program of uh, animated shorts. This is not a cartoons back. Um, we've got a event at home Manchester on Saturday, the twenty sixth of March, and we're going to be joined by Felix Massey from In the Areas, Christopher Gray, uh, who will be doing a Q and A after the screening. Good stuff, indeed. Mm-hmm. It's a fine film, absolutely, and it's playing alongside uh, a few festival favourites. We've got Cookie Tin Banjo. Um, and uh, The Lion, uh, Peter Bainton's films. We've got In Deep Waters, Somewhere Down the Line, My Home, Vandals, and Go to City Ellie, as well as uh, the aforementioned in the areas Christopher Grey. Uh, and that's going to be on Home Manchester on Saturday, the 26th of March. And the same programme will be playing at the Dukes in Lancaster on the same day. Get yourselves down for that. If you want to learn more about a couple of the films, we have interviews with Felix Massey talking about In the Areas, Christopher Grey, and also Sarah Vandenboom, who directed In Deep Waters. If you go to squiggly.com and have a little search for those, you can learn a little more and uh, see what to expect. Mm-hmm. And visit thisisnotacartoon.com for more info on the screenings. And elsewhere on squiggly.com, we have a whole bunch of new features and the like to get your teeth into since the last episode. Steve Cavalier continues his 100 Greatest Animated Short series with a look at Len Lai's film A Color Box. Bulgarian animator Theodor Ushev talks about his latest stereoscopic film, Blind Vaisha, a co-production of Art and the NFB. The full list of BAA nominees, an interview with Joe Brum of Studio Joho in Australia on his short film The Meek, as well as the college humour parodies Tinderella and Paperman Threesome. Sukai Negrin interviews Artie Hunt, the winner of the recent Bristol Regional RTS Student Awards, as well as the nominees. And also there's some more from DICE Productions on Duckman Boy. You can have a look at our recent feature to watch the film and get a look at some of the concept artwork behind it. Thanks very much once again to Louis and Ian for joining us this episode. And of course, check out their work at diceproductions.co.uk and they are on Twitter at Dice Productions if you want to give them a follow. On the subject, of course, you can follow myself on Twitter at Ben L. Mitchell, and Steve Henderson is at Mr. Underscore S. Underscore Henderson. You can also follow Squiggly on Twitter at Squiggly, Facebook.com slash Squiggly Magazine, and of course the website itself, Squiggly.com, for all our news, reviews, interviews, features, and more. So until next time, happy animating. <laughs>